Well, John remained outside the tomb of Jesus Christ because he didn't want to make himself violated, dirty. He didn't want to touch a dead body. Interesting, because the body wasn't dead. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Word of God, the Bible. And today we're going to look at John chapter 20. In about three minutes, it's going to be great, so stay there. Uh, because get your Bible out, it's going to be good. But Corey and Ryan are here as well. Corey, what's going on? I'm looking at a bit of a controversial artifact today that has to do with uh, the resurrection of Christ. Ryan? 153. That's the exact number of fish that the disciples caught according to John 21. Now, that seems rather specific, doesn't it? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. That's one of the questions I get asked by many people. What's the deal with 153? So oh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, that's going to be good. They're coming up in about 15 minutes. Janice? I want to focus on John 21 as well. Breakfast by the Sea. John 20, 1 through 10. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. John chapter 20 verses 1 through 10. John chapter 20 and 21, this is fascinating. The last uh, study of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, which he did in the flesh, he completed the work of his first coming. He also left behind some significant signs for us. I mean, after the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both who were, of course, Pharisees, had prepared Jesus' body by wrapping him in strips of linen with a mixture of many spices, which was common in the Jewish burial practice. However, this was done hastily because the Sabbath was approaching. After the Sabbath, Jesus' female disciples went to complete the burial customs, but they found that the stone had been rolled away and his body was missing. Well, when Peter and John were notified, they raced to the tomb. By the way, John was faster than Peter. And they realized the wrapping linens were still there. And the handkerchief had been wrapped. And Jesus' head was in that handkerchief. 
Now imagine the questions running through their heads. If someone had stolen the body, what was the purpose of unwrapping and folding the headcloth? The disciples had been trying to honor Jesus' body in his burial, but those preparations were ultimately unnecessary. Praise God. Now, this is fascinating. I mean, some of the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ are just, you can't explain it. And that's obvious because Jesus Christ came alive after the third day and he rose in the flesh, the resurrection. That is the reason why Christianity continues to grow in this time of great persecution. That's very important to realize. Take your Bible guide and turn to the resurrection, John chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? Call us or write to us and we will send you one. Another way to do this is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV. Don't forget the TV. BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And click on the Bible guide. And it will take you to a place and donate page. Thank you for your donations. We very much appreciate them. And as we study chapter 20 today, let's pray. Father, I pray we're going to study this. And I pray it's the beginning of our study. And Lord, as I ask your Holy Spirit to teach us your way and show us your path, we've got to get our hearts ready. So help our hearts be ready to hear what you say, Lord, in your wonderful word. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all said together, Amen and amen. Now, did you, did you hear that? Because we're reading the Bible, not typically read the Bible and then figure out your opinion. No, read the Bible and let it change us. Let it shift our opinions according to what God's will is. Very important. John chapter 20. Let's take a look at the first verse. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, the sealed stone. Pilate's seal was on that stone. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Well, Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter (laughs) and came to the tomb first. And he stooped down and looked in and saw the linen clothes lying there. John saw the clothes, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. This, uh, there's a lot we could say here, but let's just say this. John remained outside the tomb. He wanted to keep himself pure according to the Jewish customs. That's what we think. That's the impression. Peter did not care and went into the tomb. He had already denied Christ three times. See, Peter was already in the place where he denied Christ and he was a write-off and all that. And, and I say this, and this is not in the Bible, but I say that it seems as if Peter just went in, but John kind of wanted to respect the law and figure things out. And they were trying to make this this justification between the law and God and all of that. And it wouldn't be until a little bit later on that Jesus would explain to them, after he shows himself to the women, Jesus would explain to them what's going on. 
I find that fascinating. And you know, once we get locked into uh, uh, rules or ways to do things, we're locked into it. That's it. Church tradition, we're locked into it. But God is not locked into anything except his perfect will. We need to keep that in mind. All right, let's read on. Chapter 20, verse 7. And the hand handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Oh, that's fascinating. We could, we could talk a lot about this, but anyway, we don't have time. Verse 8. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also. John finally goes in and he saw and believed. The handkerchief used to wrap the head of Jesus was folded and set aside. Now there are clues that we need to watch for in the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> okay, one of the things I like is that the Bible tells us there are some things that we can watch for that Jesus has already come for his first visit. Jesus is coming back again. I believe he's going to take us away in what's called a catching up. But he's coming back to reign for a thousand years. That's what I believe. And it's very important to consider that this is real. This really happened. This isn't just a story. Well, let's go on. 20 verse 9. Here's what it says. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again to their own homes. I love this. When Jesus rose from the dead, they were confused. They did not know what happened to his body. The Lord does what he says and says what he does. Now, keep in mind that they didn't really know the scripture. Because the Bible says in the book of Acts and some other places, that Jesus was joining two men walking to Emmaus. And they said, oh, this is going on. And Jesus comes up to them. They don't recognize him. And they say, he says, what's going on? And they, you must be the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened. Isn't that interesting? And then Luke says, he explained from the scriptures, from the scriptures that he must be risen from the dead. And then they got it. We need to understand the Bible. We need to read the word of God in the New Testament as well as the Old. We need to understand the scriptures because the scriptures tell us everything God has planned. It, it, it's, the, the, the scripture doesn't tell us about conspiracy theories or anything. It tells us the truth about what will happen. Anything else is manufactured. Beloved, I need to say this. What does the scripture say? As Jesus said in his temptation, it is written. We need to know the scripture. Read the Bible today. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the program. 
Today our assigned reading is John chapters 20 to 21, and today I'm going to be looking at a specific verse in chapter 21, because there's something really, really interesting here. See, John records that the disciples caught a large number of fish, and he gives the exact number even, 153. But this seems kind of strange because other places in the Bible, it usually rounds numbers up or down or describes a lot of something as a great multitude. So is there something special about this number? It is in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, that is recorded Jesus Christ's third appearance to his disciples after his resurrection. Here, some of the disciples have spent the night fishing, yet have had no catch. However, in the morning, Jesus calls to them from the shore and instructs them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat. To the disciples' astonishment, this yields such a great number of fish that they are unable to draw the net back into the boat and must instead drag it to shore. Then in verse 11, John says that Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. The number of fish in this passage seems rather odd. However, as many Bible students are keenly aware, the scriptures contain no accidental or extraneous statements. Therefore, there must be a reason for the mention of precisely 153 fish, instead of a round number such as 150, 12 dozen, or a great multitude. The specific number must be of great significance, and indeed it is. It was Augustine of Hippo, an early church father and theologian, who taught that these 153 fish represented Christians and the church. This is reasonable considering Jesus commanded his disciples to be fishers of men. And it is common knowledge that the symbol of the fish was used by early Christians to identify one another. Additionally, Augustine observed that if you join the initial letters of the five Greek words which make up the phrase, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, they will make up the word fish, in which word Christ is understood. Therefore, he says, these 153 fish represent the believers in Christ. Further support for this idea is found in the gematria, that is the numerical value, of the Greek word for fishes. Its value is 1,224, which when divided by 8, the number of Jesus Christ, yields a value of 153. Dr. Charles Thurston believes that it is beyond chance that the name of Jesus should have such a unique gematria that is associated with the 153 fish. Also significant is the fact that the numerical value of the nine Hebrew letters that compose the name Sons of God is also equal to 153. These facts leave little doubt that the 153 fish indeed do represent believers in Christ, the Sons of God. In addition to all this, Christian Army Officer Lieutenant Colonel R. Roberts, using the Gospels, carefully tabulated a list of all the people who received a direct blessing as a result of their personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Remarkably, Roberts discovered that the four Gospels record precisely 153 individuals who were specifically blessed by Jesus Christ. This specific number in John 21:11, therefore, is very obviously no accident. So here we see a lot of examples of the number 153 in the Bible and its inexplicable connection with Christians, the sons of God. 
And on top of that, we saw how 153 is also connected with the number eight, which is, of course, the number of Jesus Christ. Absolutely fascinating. Now, listen, this is fascinating. And one of the things I need to talk about is Ivan Panin, who was a great uh, secular person who became a Christian when he learned Hebrew and Greek to study because he came over from the Bolshevik Revolution. And uh, it, it's just really interesting in 1917. Yeah, he was a Jew. He was. Yeah. He was. And he proved that the numbers in the Bible, that the words added up the multiples of seven. So this is fascinating. Thanks for that report. Mm, for sure. Very good. Okay, Corey. All right. So today I want to talk a little bit about a controversial artifact. We're going to talk about the Nazareth inscription. And there's there's a few reasons why this is controversial, mainly because this artifact is unprovenanced. So what that means when an artifact is unprovenanced is that it did not come from an official archaeological excavation. So nothing is known about its origins except what researchers are able to figure out from studying the object itself. And this is controversial for a few reasons. Uh, you know, archaeologists and scholars don't like bringing a lot of attention to these artifacts because it tends to fuel pillaging of archaeological sites or just adventure seekers going out and taking things. Uh, um, you know, it really fuels the antiquities market. This has been a problem historically where, you know, word gets out about an archaeological site. And people go and they just steal stuff and then archaeologists aren't able to reconstruct pro properly what's going on. But another obvious issue with this, especially when it comes to artifacts that may have biblical significance, is that this could actually be a forgery. And, uh, you know, some forgeries are really easy to decipher and others aren't so much. Uh, but you could see how a biblical uh, artifact could get a lot of money. So this, this definitely, this artifact could be a forgery. And there are some scholars who think that it is. And I still think it's worth knowing about. So take a look at the Nazareth inscription. An ancient Greek inscription, today called the Nazareth inscription, may be a response of the Roman Empire to claims of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This marble inscription was bought on the antiquities market in 1878, then acquired by the Paris National Library in 1925, where it finally received scholarly translation and attention. The inscription says, Edict of Caesar, it is my decision concerning graves and tombs, whoever has made them for the religious observances of parents or children or household members, that these remain undisturbed forever. But if anyone legally charges that another person has destroyed or has in any manner extracted those who have been buried or has moved with wicked intent those who have been buried to other places, committing a crime against them, or has moved sealing stones against such a person, I order that a judicial tribunal be created. You are absolutely not to allow anyone to move those who have been entombed. But if someone does, I wish that violator to suffer capital punishment." The scenario described by the inscription seems peculiar for a few reasons. It seems to work well only in a Jewish family tomb scenario. The most common method of Gentile Greek and Roman burials was the internment of cremated remains in individual graves or mausoleums located in cemeteries. There are no known examples of Roman family tombs. Sealing stones were also only used in Jewish family tombs from before AD 70. Also peculiar is the crime being described. Bodies are being moved with malicious intent, not sold or defaced, simply moved. 
If this inscription was issued in Nazareth, where Jesus was known to be from, before AD 70, that places it in the perfect time and place to be compared with the rapidly growing Christian movement. Christian Jews claimed that Jesus has risen from the dead and pointed to his empty tomb. The high priests, on the other hand, yelled, stolen body. Perhaps Rome responded by clarifying their position, extreme penalties for moving bodies out of their final resting places. So there we go. A lot we don't know about it. A lot, you know, I still have to research into it, but it's still an interesting thing to be aware of. That is very interesting to be aware of. Thank you, Corey. Mm -hmm. Janice? You know, I'm known for crying happy things, sad things. <laughs> when I'm thinking thoughtfully of something, and today when I look at John 21, this whole scene of breakfast by the sea, I get emotional on so many different levels for so many different things. I think I could talk for days on these verses and what happens here and looking at this special time with Jesus and his disciples. And I, I think right off the top, this is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who knows all. He knows why he has come. He knows what he would be doing. He knows what's in the heart of men. And this whole scene that plays out really mirrors what we had read way back in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus meets Peter, Simon Peter, for the very first time and calls him and his brother Andrew and James and John, and they become the first of his disciples. And we see this scene, of course, back in chapter uh, five of Luke, where Jesus, you know, Peter's come in and Andrew's come in. They've fished all night. They've caught nothing. And now Jesus wants to preach to the multitudes of the people from Peter's boat. And he gets in and, and uh, you know, then Jesus tells him to launch back out. Peter says, you know, Lord, we have, we fished all night. We've caught nothing. And Jesus says, you, and you know that. So we, we know this whole story. They, they kept nothing, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. When the boats become full of fish because of Jesus' instructions and there's so much fish, Simon Peter, when he sees it, he falls down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This is what he cries out here, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. I, I can't even be around you. And now we have breakfast by the sea. Jesus has gone to his crucifixion. He's raised from the dead. Peter has denied him three times. And they're out by the sea. They're back doing what they originally were doing before they followed Jesus as the disciples. And Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going to go with you also. So they went out, immediately got into the boat. And that night, guess what? They caught nothing. <laughs> now morning was come and Jesus is standing on the shore, but they didn't know that it was Jesus. And he says to them, children, do you have any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Can you imagine 
the thinking, the thoughts that are going through their minds now. It's like you know those moments that you have, and they, we call it déjà vu.、Mm-hmm. Like, have we done this before? Have we? Feels like we've said this before, and I can just imagine what these men must be feeling. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And one of them says, "It is the Lord." And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments for he had removed, and he plunged into the sea. He literally put his stuff on and he jumped into the sea. The same man that back when Jesus first called him said, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." And Peter had denied him. I'm sorry for my emotion. Peter had denied him three times the thing that he said he would never do, and Jesus said, "You will." Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter is so excited that this is Jesus. He doesn't care. He can't wait. He can't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumps in to run after the Lord because he knows more than anything he needs the Lord. That he is a sinful man and he can't make it without the Lord Jesus. And Jesus. Greets them. He's got he's got fish. He's got breakfast ready for them. The Lord Jesus, the Creator of the universe, has made them breakfast. His brothers, his disciples, the ones whom he loved. And then after they eat, he takes Peter aside, and he restores him. There's something with threes in Peter. <laughs> Have you noticed that in Scripture? There's something with threes. And for the three times that Peter had denied Christ, Jesus let him make it right. So many of you know, none of us are worthy of the grace of God, of the forgiveness of Jesus, but He gives us that opportunity to have breakfast with Him, to meet with Him every day, to make it right. And we say, "Oh, I don't deserve to be in Your presence." No, we don't. But God says, "I'm waiting for you. I'm knocking at your door. Come and follow me. Let's be like Peter and his brothers. They left everything that day, and what a journey they were on. They all learned and followed Christ. But what a beautiful way to celebrate breakfast with Jesus on the seashore." On the iPhone and on the Android phone, any phone you have, we have apps, and the apps are available for you so you can watch the program anytime you want to.、Uh, just go to the store and look at the app and download it. They're free on Android, and whatever it is, you can get to it. All right, now let's pray. Father, we pray today, 
help us to be aware and to pray as we see and hear about the things going on around the world because you're getting close, Lord. Come back, Lord Jesus.